Lord Jesus, we thank you for the bright ministry of John the Gospel. His lamp shone brightly for a while, you once said. And yet now, Lord, in you, in the heavenlies, and in this record of your coming, we once again feel that light, which is ultimately from your love. We pray, Lord, that it would shine into our hearts, and then your spirit would once again fill us. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. You may be seated. Somewhere early this summer, I had... Um, it's, it's, um, it's hard for me to say for sure now because it's happened so many times that I can't remember where it started. But I had this, this dream or it was a vision. I think it was the first time it came to me. It was like in, the, in that time at the end of the night, early morning, when you're sort of starting to come out of sleep. And you, I guess that's when you can actually begin to remember things that you've dreamt, right? That's that in-between kind of thing. And uh, I had this dream where I saw a gathering of of uh, clearly the family of God. And we were in this beautiful, spacious space. I mean, it was, it was like there was a feeling of wide openness to it. And yet, it was also warm at the same time. Um, it, it, it reminded me a little bit of this, and maybe, maybe it was in my dream. I just don't know the specifics. That wasn't so important. But there was so much light coming into the room. And there was um, spread out in this large room a very... Um, beautiful carpet on which uh, lots of us were gathered and we were sitting in, in little groupings, in little clusters of, say, family and sometimes with friends and, and you could kind of wend your way in and through the crowd and, and then I see the Lord and his, it was clearly Jesus coming into that and kind of walking in our midst and he's speaking to us. He's, he's loving on us, he's giving us truth that that feeds us, and you could see that we were just eating up his words, and we were loving being loved by him and his presence coming into us. And um, the other thing that I could see is that we were, we were enjoying one another, too. It's like we could, we could look across the way and just set the other person, maybe the one in our group or the ones that are next to our groups, and, and we can see them listening to him and, and responding, and as they're listening and responding, that helps us, doesn't it? Like when somebody else is really listening well, you see them listen, and you're like, well, what are they listening to? And, and then you start to pay attention, and it really feeds you even more. So it's interesting how that happens. I saw a little bit of that last, last night when I was watching um, Mia do this show, and one of the things you learn about acting is that the main thing about acting is, well, is reacting. Did you ever hear that expression before? I didn't know that. But acting is really reacting. And so what you'd see Mia doing a lot of times when she actually didn't have a line and she wasn't holding center stage and wasn't supposed to, she's listening to the main thing that's happening in such a good and attentive way that you as an audience member are like, oh, what is she paying attention to? She's just like helping to attend. And so that's what was happening in this, this, this dream vision that we were all so taken up with the presence of the Lord and we were so listening to him and so enjoying him that it became a multiplying effect as we're enjoying one another, enjoying him and enjoying him and then helping one another enjoy him. Do you see what I'm saying? It's this incredible, beautiful picture of community with Jesus at the center. And uh, it was so warm, it was so inviting. It was spacious and there was space for more. And I felt like it, was, it probably has something to do with us. Um, the word that came with it was living room. And I, I, it's come to me a number of different ways with different accents. So, it, you know, in other words, living. 
right? Uh, I think one of the things that's been on my heart for a long time for all of us, as I look out on us many Sundays, right, is especially when, when um, maybe it's because it's morning time, I don't know, but a lot of times our lives are so full and we're so exhausted that we come in and I can just see the tiredness on each of you. And I know sometimes, like I know your stories too, so I know that some of that tiredness is actually because you're carrying a heavy weight as well. And that burden actually wears you down over time. And it's, it's exhausting and it's wearying. And I, and I see you and I just want, I just want, oh Lord, I just want your living to come to them. I want your life, I want your spirit, I want your love for them. Because I, I love you guys, and I, I hope you know that, but I feel that very much, and I feel that that's the Lord's heart for you too, is that he wants you to enter into the living, the living that he, he came from heaven to give to us. He came from the side of the Father to share with us. He brought the side of the Father, the very heart of the Father to us to take us into this kind of love and this, this living he loves us so much and he still wants us to enter into that and enjoy that living, living room. But room, you know, it, it kind of struck, struck me that this room was spacious. It was warm. It was inviting. It was welcoming. It was hospitable. There was room. There was room for living. And um, it kind of meant something to me that I think a lot of times one of the reasons we're not living is because we don't have room for it. You know, we, I think it's funny that, you know, a lot of times the rooms these days that are not very much occupied are our living rooms and our family rooms. We are going in and out of the house to sleep. We are going to the TV where if we're lucky, we might get a meal in once a week as a family around the table. I mean, I, I guess I'm projecting a little bit because especially when it's, it's show week, that's impossible for our family. But how many of us are always in show week, right? We need room for living. So as I saw this, this space and I just, I wanted it for us so badly, I realized in some ways I would like this Advent, Advent is a season of preparation, to be a time where we are praying for the Lord to show us how to make room in our lives so that we can enjoy the living that he means for us to have with him and with one another. I don't know what all the implications are. I've asked our vestry to pray on this. I've asked our staff and clergy to pray on this. How will we make more living and how will we make room for that living as a church? But I, I especially am really asking you this morning to enter into a season of prayer during Advent. Use this season to ask the Lord to show you how to open up your own heart and your own home. And then lastly, even our church for this kind of living. I do think it's a great Advent theme. This morning, our gospel reading is, is on John the Baptist. There's many names for John the Baptist. And if you're like me and spent most of your life in a, an evangelical home um, or evangelical churches, you mostly heard of John as being John the Baptist. He has many other titles beyond that. Right, so we're going to touch in on a few of them. But he's, he's sometimes called John the, the forerunner, John the precursor, the one who goes before the Lord. He goes before the Lord in, in the ministry of the kingdom, in the presence of the kingdom. He even goes before the Lord into death, if you think about it. And um, he's the one who goes before. But he goes before to prepare. And um, he's also a, a prophet. He's the last of the great prophets of the Old Testament. That's how the, uh, the church understood him. And that's, that if you go into the text of the scriptures and the gospels, you see that that's really real. He is the last of the prophets, picking up where Malachi left off, 
right? He's, he's there being prophetic. And in that sense, too, he's also calling people to repentance, which we'll get to in just a second. Um, but he's also somebody who's a witness. He ministers the presence of the Lord, too. And we want to get into that just a little bit. I think his ministry is still really important for us here this morning. I, I, I'm looking around. I do believe that every single person in this room knows Jesus and has been baptized. And so you, you might wonder, like, so what, what does John really have to say to me? And I still believe that he has a lot to say to us. In fact, this passage if you, it primarily is the passage that the church wanted to make sure it was included, not just for brand new converts who've never heard the gospel before, but those of us who've been with Jesus for a while. There's a specific reason for that that I'll get into in just a minute. So I think that John's ministry and his work is actually still really important, and now maybe even more important, because we can get very comfortable. We get very comfortable with where we're at. And I think that, um, as Jim, you often remind us, the, the work of a preacher, and John is the, sort of the classic preacher, is to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. And maybe sometimes we're a little bit too comfortable in some ways and not really comfortable in others. So there's certain things that have to happen. I think John does. Um, there's this, um, I think one of the justifications for having this in the, in the, um, in the seasonal calendar at this time, this particular passage, um, is evidenced in the iconography of the church. So a lot of, you, you might see this in some Anglican churches, but you'll consistently see it in, East, in Eastern Orthodox tradition. They use a lot of iconography, and in the West that kind of, that kind of really declined um, at, at one point. But it's starting to come back in a lot of Western contexts. And in the uh, ancient church context for many hundreds of years, you would see these icons at the very front of the church. It's called the deesis. And that means, by the way, intercession. So it's a form of prayer. And you'll see Jesus in the very center icon. And Jesus is enthroned. So you can tell he's, he's seated. He's established his kingdom and he's seated. What's interesting, though, about it is that behind him is the shape of the cross. It's almost as if the back of his chair, the chair of his ruling throne, of his cathedral, is a cross. And that understanding of the church was that it was the cross in which Jesus was enthroned. He ascended, he ascended to the cross then he ascends from the grave and then ascends to the, the right hand of the Father. But that first expression of that, and, and really in some ways, the one that's visible for everybody in the world, I mean, even the unbelievers acknowledge that he was crucified. That's the beginning of the enthronement, is the cross. And so you have Jesus at the center, king, enthroned. And then on, on one side, you have, you have John, and he's, he's like this. And then on the other side, you have Mary, and she's like this. And um, I believe Mary is in our, our readings next week, and Father Steve will preach, perhaps he'll want to preach on that. But what it portrays is that you've got these two ministries, really the two first disciples of the kingdom, who are there to show us what it's like to be in the kingdom, who are there to show us how to be in the kingdom and how to return to it whenever we've wandered. And again, I think most of us, I'm talking to you about the ways in which our hearts and our lives and the patterns are wandering. So G, um, John's ministry is a little different from Mary's. She is, she's the one who says, let it be. And there's a whole lot more to be unpacked there, but I really want to spend most of my time, obviously, on John the Baptist. So the first thing I want to look at is that um, he's a voice in the wilderness. 
saying, you know, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. He's a voice in the wilderness of Judea, crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. So there, he's, he's this... Um, He's this kind of bizarre personality. He's very, very um, radical. He's so radical, he became like the image of what it meant to be a monk. And you, you guys probably don't know a lot about monks, but I'll tell you one thing about them. Throughout the history of those people who felt called to be a monk, they were people who said, enough with the way the world is going. I can't keep living in this. It's killing me, and I need to get out of here for a while to get back to roots, to get back to real life. And so they pull away for a while, and you have to have a call to do that, by the way. Don't just take off and do it. Please talk to me before you do, okay? <laughs> and I, I probably don't need to say that here, but I have had to say that to some young people before. <laughs> right, you get all, kind of zealous and you go, this is a call from God. Because John is a particular embodiment of a way for all of us. He's a particular way of being that all of us have to partake of sometimes. This is why we have Advent and this is why we have Lent. Sometimes we partake of it. It's not necessarily our calling, but we may not be an evangelist either, but that doesn't mean we don't sometimes evangelize, right? So this is, this is something that we partake of, and what is he doing? He's, he's pulling away from the world. Absolutely pulling away from it, in a very radical way, too. He's wearing very uncomfortable clothes. Jesus pointed that out. He wasn't wearing comfortable clothes. <laughs> he wasn't in a palace. He was actually living under the shelter of the sky. And he wasn't eating the food that he grew or the animals that grazed in his fields. I mean, he, he was just depending upon the wild. And um, he's living a very, very sparse lifestyle. I thought about that room, you know, in the vision. I thought, that's beautiful, isn't it? But man, it does take, something has to happen for that. Like, you have to, have, you have to clear some space, first of all. So I, I think in some ways what, what it is is that John's life has become so simple, there's lots of space in it. It's very simple. He's pulled away. And there's lots of space. He's gone into the wilderness too. I think one of the things about the wilderness in the scriptures is very clear that the wilderness is a place of transition. It's a place where the Israelites first go to when they have to get out of Egypt. So they end up going into the wilderness. But it's also a place where, as many preachers have said, it's where the, the Egypt in you gets taken out, right? You have to make a transition, not just in terms of externals. Like, it's not so important that John is a very disciplined man. What's really important is that he's, he's there to be formed by God, and that's what he wants for Israel, to be formed by God. Because it, it, things are wrong. And things, he knows things have to be set right. He knew it had to be set right in him. And he knew it had to be set right in his brothers and sisters in Israel for things to be better. So the first thing is, yeah, things are wrong. I've got to get out of here. And we need to take a pause and do that. So Advent is this season, as I say. It's of preparation. And it, it, it requires, first of all, clearing things. That's what preparing in John's case actually means. It's like there's, there's, a, there's things that have to be cleared away. But the first thing is get out of the stuff, get out of it. And that's this voice in the wilderness. And the voice, of course, a lot of people have noticed is he's the voice, but Jesus is the word. He's, he's the voice that makes it possible for the word to be heard, in a sense. So it's, it's the, the way that I was thinking about it was a lot of times in the Eastern Orthodox Church, you've got the deacon, he comes out, and the deacons have big voices in the Eastern Orthodox Church. You know, the Eastern Orthodox Church is big on singing, and so they all sing. In fact, you can't, you can't even be ordained to the clergy if you don't sing. And if you're a deacon, I mean, if you're a singer, you might get ordained to the diaconate. And then when you lose, then when you lose your voice, you become a priest, and then when you lose your mind, you become a bishop. But the... the 
That's an old joke. I, it's not mine. So the, the priest comes in and he says, attend, wisdom, like that. And he does it really loud. And he might chant it. I can't remember. They probably do chant some. Attend, pay attention, wisdom. And then what does he read? He reads the word. And that's essentially what I think John is doing. He's gone out. He's gone out of the noise and out of the clutter. You know, he's like the Marie Kondo of that era. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, she's, she's a person who says, look, it's going to take some work, but I want you to go through all the clutter of your lives and get rid of everything that isn't for joy. That's kind of a way. That's, I'm, I'm really entertaining one person there. Um, but that, that is essentially what I think John is doing. He's pulling us away. He's saying, pay attention. Pay attention because you really do need to pay attention to begin to strip out of your lives the things that don't belong there. And the, the Lord is going to help you with that. Okay, so that's the first thing is this voice in the wilderness steps away. The second thing is that um, he's baptizing and they're confessing their sins. He's baptizing them in the River Jordan and they're confessing their sins. Um, One thing I want to say is that at the time, John's baptism was really strictly for preparation. It's a little different from our baptism. Um, Our baptism contains the baptism of John within it now. So it still includes this baptism for repentance and confession of sins. You know, um, every week we have the office of confession, but I think one of the things that's, that John points out that is, um, it kind of hits me right between the eyes, and it is like a two by four kind of, John's radical that way, right? <laughs> he, he's pretty tough, and, um, and yet it's a ministry of grace. I mean, he even says that his, his father got the, got the, the word from, um, from Gabriel of the coming of his son. It was impossible for them to be pregnant because they were in their old age. And one of the things that is said of John is he'd be filled with the spirit from his birth. And you see that, like when, when Mary goes to visit Elizabeth, who's carrying John, he springs up. I mean, he, he has that quickening kick when Jesus comes. And you can tell he's filled with the spirit. And... and um, and yet he doesn't know Jesus yet. It says that in John. We'll get to how he knows him in, in a minute. But he, um, he is this, this person who um, is out there in the wilderness and he's baptizing people for the forgiveness of sins so that they can know salvation. So that their hearts and all the affections of their hearts can be entranced, enchanted by, and taken with, and romanced by salvation. I'm using all those words on purpose. But to, to do that, that means that there's a certain kind of hardening that happens with sin that has to be softened. So water, in a sense, does that. But there was a great tradition of, of cleansing in Israel. If you wanted to come back into the presence of God, having been in a hard place, you needed to come through the waters of cleansing. And you had to repent. Sometimes it, it was for various things, but it was always for the sake of re-entering into a state of righteousness. So you can't be safely in the presence of God without becoming righteous. And yet we can't do that on our own. We have to come through cleansing. It was just like what Israel had to come through the Red Sea. That was a symbol of the same thing. They had to go through the Jordan after their 40 years in order to enter into the promised land. There's a a transition of cleansing that has to happen of sins, but they're confessing their sins too, it says. So the water is an outward sign of 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 an inward thing that's happening. They're confessing their sins. 
He's also saying repent. So there's, sin has always three qualities to it. It's, it's, it typically has a, a thought thing that nobody can see. It's got thoughts and it's got feelings associated with it. These turn into intentions. And then, then you've got sometimes words that gets expressed, we say terrible things, or we make plans and involve other people to do things that aren't good, so it turns into words sometimes, and so a lot of times it's words, and then a lot of times it's actions. So it's, it can be thought, word, and deed, and we confess our sins, thought, word, and deed. And um, so John is saying repent, and what he's saying is, I want you to completely turn your life around. So that means not just your thoughts and not just your feelings and, and not just your words, but not just your actions either, but all of it, all of it. And one of the first things to do is to stop doing things. And the second thing is to actually confess the things that you have done. And I actually think it's, it's, it is really important to, to do an actual confession. I've told you shared with you guys many, many times that I, I make a practice at least once a month to make specific confession of my sins. Because otherwise they, what, what do they do? They continue to lurk around the heart. I think actually they, they have a much stronger grip on your heart if you can't come to a place of verbally confessing your sins to a priest or a trusted brother or sister. And I do mean they need to be trustworthy. You know, we don't just willy-nilly go around confessing the deep, deep secrets or the, the troubling sins of our, our lives. I, I'll, I'll tell you more about why that's the case if you want to talk to me afterwards. But I think it's important to make verbal confession, and that's exactly what, 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 Paul, um, what John is describing. The, the word there has to do with a verbal confession. So it's not just a private thought. Like I grew up in a Baptist tradition where it's all grace, and so therefore I can never have to say my sins out loud to anybody. But I think that there's an issue with that because we're made for communion and we're made to have those specific things that have a kind of a, a substantive expression in our lives. There's an actual stain in our conscience is the way Peter puts it. And we need to have a cleansing of our conscience once again. And then we need to have a cleansing of our conscience through the water of his word expressing forgiveness as well. So, the, but the, that expression has to come, I think. So, one reason we have ministers on the side and one reason Father Steve and I often are up there as well is for that reason. And, and, and the, the purpose of it is, is to set you free from your sins. I mean, if he's outside the city because it's a mess, he's also saying, I gotta get out of sight the, the stuff that's been in my heart. I gotta put that away and I gotta return to true center in my own life. I gotta get out of that too. And I have to have that out of me as well. And one of the ways you do that is by confessing out loud and it comes out. <laughs> that's part of it. And then what happens is grace comes in as somebody says, receive the grace. And so that's, that's really important. I, I think that there's something that happens to us. It's, it must be a little bit like the Pharisees because um, he says, don't think for a minute that we have Abraham as our father. Jesus will, he does, because Peter uses the terminology, can raise out of these stones children, right? He can raise his own children out of even these stones. And eventually, the, um, even the Gentiles, those were sort of the stones that Israel would have considered in their day. The least expected to come into the kingdom. He can do it. And he did with the prostitutes and the tax collectors. So don't think for a minute that you're okay and you're good to go. 
Well, man, I don't have that problem. I don't have uh, Abraham's genes in me, so I guess I'm okay. What's a, what's, what is it in our lives that can be like that? Any ideas? I'm trying to get some interaction here. <laughs> I'll give you my thought. I think, actually, I think sometimes it's, if you're real sacramentalist, it's like, I've been baptized. I'm good to go now. And I go to communion, mass, every week, whatever. If you're a, um, a strict evangelical, which is what I was for most of my life, and I'm still an evangelical, but I try not to be rigid, I guess. Um, you know, I prayed the sinner's prayer once. I remember that. I prayed the sinner's prayer once. And it just for good measure, I did it several times after that, too. And uh, did the altar call several times, just to make sure. And um, so I'm good to go. And the rest of my life, I can pretty much wander around and see who else needs to repent. <laughs> or maybe even tell them they better repent. I, I think that because we want to so rightly root our salvation in the grace of Jesus that we often become presumptuous about it. I'm not really worried about your eternal security. I think in the deepest, truest part of who you are, you are safe. You are eternally secure. But I guess what I'm saying here right now, and I think what the Lord might be saying to those of us who are, who are in Christ, and I know you, so I know you are, is that what are those parts of you that aren't living in that reality? Where are you living? What system are you living out of? What direction are you living out of? It's like, it's like the, um, there, there is a current of life that you can move in. There's either the current of the world and your own sinful ways of being, or there's the current of the living streams of a holy God who's full of love. And I, and I, I wonder which ones are we often living out of? This, by the way, if it's the world and the flesh, it's really not even moving. It's more like a stagnant yuck. <laughs> and we often realize that when we're honest. And that's where I think that, I think that some of us could say, you know, yeah, Lord, I, I know that you have saved me. That work was done once on the cross, and I have received from you. And I want to be renewed in that. And I want, actually, I want to be what it was said of John. I want to participate in that, that way in which the hearts of the fathers turn to the children, and the children turn to the fathers. Like, I'm at an age where I'm a father now. And I want my life to be so turned that my first impulse and my first leaning is to love and to actually bless like the way a father can do and actually provide the way a father can do and speak truth to build up, right? I want to be that. And, and if you're younger and you're a child, and by the way, all of us are children with respect to God, and I think all of us should have an elder of some sort in our lives, but our hearts should be turning to those who are by God's provision over us as well and trusting them who are trying to provide care and to bring truth and to bring love into our lives. I want to participate in that. And so, Lord, take me out of this stagnant stream and put me into this, but Lord, put your finger on that thing that I need to confess. I love what Father Steve said, was it last week or two, a few weeks ago? This is not about a vague sense of guilt. It's about a very specific, man, it's a good thing to come to a good confession. We, we, uh, th those of us you've been around here a long time, you know I've talked about what is a good confession. It's your ability to name that thing which has kept you from the Lord 
so that he can clear it out and cleanse it. And uh, that requires a gift, and that itself is a form of grace. Everything, by the way, I've been talking about is grace. I'm asking you to come into it and engage with it, but it's grace. So the last thing that we come to now after that is, is it John is really a witness of the presence. It's not so much explicit in this passage. It starts to hint at it when he says, but gee, one is coming is greater than I. I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. You know, and, and it, it talks about the threshing floor too, which is, which is an image of en- entering into the temple, right? Because the temple was built on, a, on, on the threshing floor. It was this place where uh, there's many biblical images that are related to this, where things are sorted out and that which is bad goes away and that which is good is gathered in and you can come into the presence of God. And, and Jesus is that one who comes in. And Jesus is that one who makes it possible for you to come in because he's, first of all, he's helped you to get away. He's helped you to make your confession and receive cleansing. But now also, he's bringing you into a presence, into a relationship. One of the, one of the, the terms for Advent, which we translate as Advent and coming, is, is this Greek word parousia, and it also means presence. So he's, he's a prophet of the presence as well, and Advent is always about the presence. Maybe we're access, you know, accenting preparation, but it's still in the presence of the Lord. All of this has been in the presence of the Lord and it's so that he can fill us, so that he can fill us with fire, so that he can fill us with a burning love that unites us to him and is so hot and warm and consuming without burning. It just, it, it takes you to places of love with others as well. So he's a prophet of the presence. He's a witness to the presence, coming into the light himself. And um, remember what happens to John in in, um, the Gospel of John? He doesn't know Jesus at first, it says, but then Jesus comes into the waters. These are the waters of repentance. These are the waters of John. And then John recognizes him. I think that the miracle of what I'm talking about today is that if you start following John, you get really close to Jesus and then you start to see him. When we're caught up in the ways of the world and our own sinfulness, sometimes we can't feel him, sometimes we can't see him, sometimes we are hard like those rocks, but then when we go into the waters and make this confession, all of a sudden we realize him and we see him It's like the disciples on the road to Emmaus. They begin to take the bread and the wine and then they see him. And this is the gift, I think, of even of John, even as it is of Mary. This kind of ministry that all of us are called to enter into is that we will enter into his presence as well. And we'll meet him. And he will know us and we will know him and our hearts and our affections will be taken with him. And he already loves us. I saw the last, uh, well, last evening show that the kids are in. It's the Christmas Carol. I love the Christmas Carol. It's a really great picture of somebody who um, has to repent, right? They're living in a really awful version of the world, and they're completely bought into the lie, and they are very hard. Scrooge is the big bah humbug, and he's pretty, pretty hardened. But through a series of of, of, I would say, prophetic dreams. 
He begins to realize that his past had moments of grace. His present was now being given a revelation and his future could actually change because of it. And when those words came in his night terrors through these these angels in his dreams, it begins to change him. The theme throughout has been in that that story of the Christmas carol is that he all along wanted to come home. He all along wanted to have a family. And he so wanted it that he had to, felt like he had to make it happen on his own. And he did it according to the ways of the world and then he lost what he thought he was making. And he had to give up that and he had to repent of that in order to come into the real home. And then what do you see at the end of it? Is that he's got a hundredfold family he starts to just pour out a love. I mean, he's so in the living streams that he's pouring out a love of generosity that's really like Jesus pouring out his generosity. And what has he done then? He's prepared a place for living. There's living room in Scrooge's life because of how he's come into that, this way that John shows us. That's what the Lord has for all of us. He loves each of us. He wants to set us free from the captivity and bring us back home. Lord Jesus, please use John and use these words to draw us away from the world, to help us to open up space and clear away sin, and to receive your holy presence. We pray, Lord, as we come to our confession that you begin this work, we pray that as we continue to receive your body and blood, you would continue to fill us. May we receive everything, Lord, we need this morning to be in your kingdom and to see you in your presence. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.